we, we, we should rap about things that we like, like, like food. That's what. You bugging ass Jeff, you know it. We're gonna be like the Partridge family, but with food. You like food, don't you? Got any uh, white bread? Yes. Oh, wait. I am the spaghetti. Duval, you're not the spaghetti. I am the spaghetti. Let go of the lid. Just spaghetti in here. Is this organic? Sure. Is it grass-fed? Yes. Cruelty-free? What's so special about the cheese maker? As the saying goes, you are what you eat. And I am freaking cheese. <laughs> Hi everyone, welcome to Cheesy. Um, I guess this would be part of the James Street Food and Wine Trail. It certainly is. It's the well, it's the eve, but um, yes, we're at all systems go. Yeah, ready to start tomorrow. Um, four fabulous days of beautiful food-centric events and wine-centric, uh, culminating in an extraordinary market day on Sunday, which, uh, given the weather at the moment, it uh, provides yeah. a pretty good backdrop to come down here and eat. Yes, that's <laughs> and right. Drink. <laughs> you can, I probably should ask both of you to introduce yourself. Sure. Uh, I'm Mari Louise Thiel, I'm Creative Director of the James Street Initiative. And my name is Joanna Morelli, and I've been invited to um, do a sake dinner with Harvey's and a whiskey tasting with Maker. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very nice. Very excited. Cool. Um, I'll come back to the food and wine trial, but that is something that I wanted to ask because mm-hmm. I know nothing about sake. So <laughs> I thought uh, I, I debated today whether I should go on and do like basic research, and I thought no, I'll just I'll just ask all the questions that I don't know. <laughs> sure. So is it a, is it a drink that is like whiskey in that the craftsmanship and the like the regions can make a big difference to it? definitely Um, has that diversity definitely but it's not nearly as strong as whiskey Um, and it's also not distilled so uh, it's fermented from rice yeah Um, so it's a lot lower percentage it's only about 17 percent or 15 to 17 percent alcohol so um, but I imagine that would be a more volatile process than distilling it it is it's actually a very delicate process and uh, it takes a lot of um, takes a lot of time to make and a lot of skill so yeah so, oh, uh, that's a, what's the normal time frame for a, from start oh, from to finish? From start to finish. Uh, it's a few months. Sake is usually made during the winter yeah. uh, because you need kind of a colder uh, temperature in order to control what's going on in the fermentation. Um, so in Hokkaido, where I'm from, actually, they rest in the winter because it's so cold. Yeah. Um, but in other regions of Japan, they make sake only in the wintertime. So you'd harvest in the fall. Um, you take the rice, you make the sake in the winter, and then throughout the season, they sort of release different sakes. So the first sakes that come out in the spring, or, well, the first sakes that come out after New Year's, then in the springtime, uh, in the summertime, and in the fall, they're all different types of sakes, and they've all been sort of aged for different lengths of time. So are we talking months or years? We're talking months. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's an interesting, because like... And years. I've, one I've, of the sakes tomorrow is 18 years old, so oh, wow. we are doing one aged sake. I've, I've always wanted to have a crack at making whiskey, but and I've made cheese, and even my notes on cheese are shocking. Like, I'll make a really good cheese, and then I'll go, oh, that was really great. What Now, what did I do three months ago? <laughs> <laughs> it's um, a hard thing to replicate. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think uh, sake brewers have the same... Uh, 
same problem they they make a really great sake and then it's really hard to make the same one again because a lot of the yeah. processes are kind of natural so but that'd be um like for someone that's like a connoisseur then you'd be constantly hunting for a particular vintage or you heard about a nice new sake you'd be chasing it wouldn't you for sure that's what makes it so exciting <laughs> <laughs> so the the food and wine trail yes oh is it is it all through uh just the restaurants or is it outside as well no where we i mean our whole purpose of our office is obviously to look after our tenants Mm -hmm. so we have um we like to unless the restaurants themselves want to collaborate with an outside chef say from interstate um or in this case obviously joanna um pj from harvey's has been sort of aching to do a sake matching degustation meal for a couple of years so yeah. we've worked, been working to get this to happen but essentially it's, it's all about um, our hospitality our chefs and of course the James Street markets and the produce and the providers that they you know yeah. represent so it's it's very much an in-house event and that's how we you know we really want to keep it because it's about showcasing what we have here on the street the amazing talent and I guess the the next question is do you buy tickets to each like individual oh. events or can you buy a ticket like y- yes basically the individual restaurants and their events are ticketed but yeah. the market day on Sunday is for everyone to just come and enjoy yeah. and all of those restaurants will be represented on the street we close the street so that you will be able to sample you know each each restaurant has selected a dish that they feel um, showcases what they do and what they love at, for this time of year and so you can walk around and you can obviously sample a lot of different dishes and matching wines or beers so be your choice <laughs> and what day is the sake the sake dinner is tomorrow night. Is it sold Thursday? out? It is. Oh, gee. <laughs> we can't even promote it. It's, it's already sold out. It is, but, you know, but there'll be, I think, ongoing, you know, I, I noticed that our, um, one of our cellar bars here in the street, Crew Bar, which is, of course is a bar, but also has a magnificent wine and cellar shop, mm. um, already has their sign outside promoting the fact that they have a lot of good sake in stock. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I pe- think the roll-on effect is going to pe- be... People will spill out yeah. straight into the uh, into the purchasing arrangement. Mm. And I think, as you've just heard from Ioana, this is the thing. It's such a drink that I think people are perhaps afraid of it because mm-hmm. they don't understand it. Um, I've met Ioana from going to Japan over the last 12 years, and she has... I've had been very lucky. I've had, like, you know, over the years, she has taught me and really helped me have a you know a palate that now appreciates sake and i'm starting to get a bit of an idea i can sort of taste the differences in some cases but marie louise is a pro yeah <laughs> oh no 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 no, not a pro I, I mean but but it is such a mag it's an exquisite drink and it's like once you acquire a taste for it you know you actually find yourself at certain times eating a meal and thinking oh if only i had some sake to put with this so are you like does it lend itself more to Asian foods or does it go with anything? I think um, obviously it's a, it's a Japanese product so yeah. it matches best maybe with Japanese food. I mean it's a drink that was made to match the food that they make and yeah. eat in, in Japan. Um, but having said that, um, just like wine, you can find um, people pairing wine to Chinese food or um, to Thai food or all sorts of other I think you know, foods. And I think sake is really versatile like that too. There are so many different types of sake. There are hundreds of breweries in Japan. Yeah. Um, and they all make different different styles of sakes. Um, and they all sort of pair differently with food. So um, we're going to try a, a pairing tomorrow that's with um, a Western 
Western food influenced by Japanese flavors. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I was wondering about, whether mm-hmm. you'd, you know, one of my favorite books is, uh, cookbooks is a book called Food to Drink to by a couple of wine writers. Um, and its whole premise is, you know, don't believe all this, all the rules about matching food to wine. You know, it, if it's something that you enjoy drinking with this particular food, then it matches. And the, the whole thing reads like they wrote it when they were drunk, cooking food up at 11 <laughs> o'clock were. at night. Yeah, well, <laughs> even the cover, they look pretty much half into a bottle of wine. Um, but I, I just think that's a great attitude to have is just like, don't be precious about it. If, if have, have a go. If it doesn't work, then you don't do it again next time. So Exactly. I think we're also doing, uh, the next night we're doing a whiskey tasting. Mm. Um, and originally it was just going to be the whiskies, but we've paired up with um, with a chef from Sources Grocery. Sources Grocery and Gage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gage yeah, restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, just to, <laughs> I better just, having said what I said before, we, um, Jerome is about to open a bar in James Street. Hence why in this incident, it is someone, I mean, his restaurant is in South Brisbane. So some people might say, well, how come that's happening? But it's because he is actually becoming part of the James Street family. Just thought I'd better yeah. clarify that. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be sort of the first first event in the new space, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so real basic stuff for a newbie. Sure. How do I drink it? <laughs> like, is there a... Is there a... Is there a way to taste it? Or is... Yeah. I mean, drinking like, it is pretty simple. Yeah. Um, you just simply drink it. But to taste, to taste sake... Um, unlike wine where you want to add maybe a little bit of air and things like that you see people um, swirling a glass you can do that with sake too just to get the aromas out a little bit Um, but generally speaking when you taste sake you want to chew the sake at the front of your mouth okay so um, you put the sake in your mouth and then right at the tip of your tongue you almost your lips would be closed but going up and down as if you're chewing and swirling Mm. the sake in the circle at the front Mm. of your mouth Um, You do that for a little while or as long as you think you can. Um, And then when you taste it, you'll get a whole range of different flavors from just having swallowed it. Yeah. It really developed a flavor Mm -hmm. as you sort of left it there. Get the more chocolatey tones, richer tones of the sake. I don't know what I expected, but that's not what I expected. That's really nice. In a good way. (laughs) Yeah. And is it... um, traditionally drunk warm uh room temperature cold that's the beauty about sake actually is that you can drink it anywhere from really cold yeah um um, we'll be doing a sparkling sake tomorrow that needs to be Mm -hmm. um really cold um all the way down to um room temperature and then there are different levels of um of of warmth that you can that you can have but basically like 45 degrees would be the warmest you want to make it um, we're going to be serving a sake tomorrow at about 38 degrees. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we call that uh, skin temperature yeah, in okay. Japanese. <laughs> yeah. And so then does it break down, is it very broken down into regions? Do different regions have a, like a style or is it completely all over the shop and people just have a go at what they want? No, definitely different regions make uh, different styles of sake. More... Um, more relevant to the water that they use. So the water is really important in making sake, it's brewed. Um, So unlike sort of a distilled spirit where maybe the water is, some people would argue with me Mm. here, but maybe the water is less important. Um, In sake, because it's brewed, the water is 
is really important. So the minerality of the water will definitely come out in a sake. Um, sake is from Nagano and Niigata definitely have specific flavors. Um, we're going to be serving some from the Kansai region, uh, Shiga, Kyoto, Osaka, um, one from down south in, in Kyushu. Uh, that's one of the, the sakes um, that uses one of the wells, um, the main wells in Kyushu, which the water is really important yeah, for okay. the sake making there. And so how, how bound up is sake in tradition in terms, I guess not so much in terms of drinking it and how it fits into the culture, but in terms of making it? Because, and is sake made outside of Japan much? Sake is actually, actually I was, just came back from Mexico. Yeah, right. And I drank um, Mexican sake, um, which was really interesting. It was actually quite good. It's called Nami. Um, and it's the first, I guess, sake brewery in Mexico. Uh, there are a few in America. There's yeah. a couple in Canada that I know of as well. Um, I think there are a few in Europe um, as well. Yeah. There are other Asian countries that make sort of a similar drink, but not quite the same. So, um, so I guess sake is generally just made in Japan and then a little bit in Europe, America, North America, and now yeah. Mexico. So m- most of, well, 99.9% of what you would get in other countries would be Japanese. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. You would have someone importing sake from Japan. Mm. Yeah. What do you think? Do you mm. like it? Mm. <laughs> it's really nice. It's it's totally not what I... I don't know what I expected. Um, I think I expected something a bit fierier. Ah. But it is very similar to like... Um, it, it, it feels like a wine. Mm-hmm. Like you know it doesn't have that bite of a, of a spirit does it yeah this is quite a mellow sake actually that okay we're drinking right now yeah yeah it's just really in terms of its bite yeah yeah okay it's very nice <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad this is this is always the problem with this podcast is i live quite a fair way out of the city and we've done a few whiskey ones and um quite a few wine ones and i have to be very disciplined <laughs> and sit there and just have little tastes and talk about it instead of going, oh, this is great. Let's keep going. I should mention, if you're talking about whiskey, um, the whiskey tasting that uh, Ioana and her partner Hisashi are doing on Friday night is um, ha- apparently the way it's being described is it's probably unlikely that you would ever anywhere in the world get an opportunity to taste the whiskeys that they will be tasting on Friday. They are so wow. rare, and to have them in one lineup in one session is pretty much unheard you're ma- of. You're making me cry here. Well, <laughs> apparently they are. I mean, they are. These, some of these bottles sell now for nearly five thousand dollars. Wow! So the opportunity to to taste these particular Japanese whiskies in succession um, with on experts on hand like these two is um, it's going to be a very 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 unique memorable event and um, it's actually being done in sittings of six only to to keep that intimacy that and that obviously that education process can then happen whereby Ioana and Hisashi can be completely engaged with their six tasters and give them all the information they need about the whiskies they're drinking yeah we're getting inquiries from Melbourne about that event, yeah, particularly be, today when we actually, we, yeah, we, we actually, <laughs> today we only released what the whiskies are, oh, <laughs> you can yeah. imagine. <laughs> it's a bit of a secret, I think, for a little while, but uh, we brought... Um, Do they come in like a lock case with you know, combination locks? They, and they, they, they'd be throwing them around all day, they're so valuable. <laughs> oh, they probably dear. should have, yeah. but... Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. So, as a as part of the food culture over there, is this mm. drunk like all the time? Is it drunk um, with food mostly, or is it drunk in bars like beers are here? Or sure, um, I would say that most of sake consumption happens in uh, what we call an izakaya. Uh, which some people would be familiar with here, but it's basically a place where you eat and drink. Yeah. So a, a casual restaurant, pub sort of atmosphere. Um, sake is usually um, had with food. Yeah. Um, it is a drink that's been sort of made to match um, with food. Yeah. So generally you would eat and drink. Yeah, it does feel like a, you know, because it's yeah. not, you don't feel like you're going to get toasted after two of these yeah you will though you will (laughs) somebody described it once to me in in your bar is it's like truth serum (laughs) I don't know about that but how much have they had yeah I don't know I I mean it's it's it is at 15 16 degrees so uh, an alcohol percentage so I mean it's a a fair chunk more than wine it's a little bit more than wine yeah Yeah. it sneaks up on you a little bit yeah that's smaller amounts don't you you do have smaller amounts yeah Mm. you do it's always good to drink a lot of water. It makes you very thirsty. Mm. But that's oh, okay. but that's good for your palate. Then you feel like eating yeah. something, you know. Yeah, so it's a sort of like a little cycle of... That's right. Because um, I was really interested because you've um, contributed to this book as well. Is that that's right? That's right, yeah. Yeah. And, um, well, yeah. And mm. so I was just sitting here before reading the book and it... Um, like the little traditions of sitting there and eating the food and, and like even the description of you know the food comes out and you're supposed to be serious about it and you don't muck around and take a picture of it or talk to you you know the, the food's here you eat the food mm-hmm. yeah um, particularly in a sushi atmosphere but yeah yeah um mm-hmm. and i just find those little sort of micro traditions really interesting where mm-hmm. you know some foods are you know much more social and you can sort of sit and and take your time and and have a drink and others it's like full concentration so yeah japan has a very rich food culture i think mm. um the reason that um that matt goulding uh the writer of this book decided to choose japan this book is actually part of a series um, of books about um, food cultures in different countries so the first one he decided to write was um was about japan um because he felt strongly that the the sort of deepest food culture in the world existed in yeah. Japan. And just like you said, all those like micro micro traditions, I don't know, that you find in, in, in Japanese food culture are fascinating to Yeah. To an outsider especially. See like I, I really like food and I like I like cooking. Um, <laughs> but I uh, I find um, a lot of Asian food not mystifying but I just don't have the knowledge base to to get into it. So I'll have a mm-hmm. crack. <laughs> but I just, I'm never, I, I don't, I never feel like I'm confident enough that I'm doing what the, what the food wants, wants to be done. Like it, sure, if, a lot it, of the ingredients out, too are foreign probably too. Yeah. So using them for the first time, you're not exactly sure yeah. how, yeah, you, how to you, use them. And I think when you get to the stage where you're like, you don't think about how much you're putting in or exactly how you're slicing something or, you know, you're just cooking it, then that's when you start to make good food and i just don't have that that level of comfort i think with um with asian food particularly japanese food so um, you have to come to japan to try some good yeah food. i would love to <laughs> yeah reading this and i was like oh man I'm, I'm very hungry now so actually i've met a few people in japan now that have been traveling following the trails of this book ah, i think okay. i've met uh, half a dozen people already um that just happened to stumble across the bar um, i met a guy in tokyo last week 
um, at a bar I sometimes um, work at when they're short-staffed. A man sat at the counter and uh, he he told me about his trip in Japan and I kind of looked at him thinking, oh, that's, all, that's all a those, funny place to all go. All those places know? have seemed very oh, familiar. Yeah, you were just in Noto. It's a peninsula that's not really on the tourist trail, you know. It's a area very famous for fermentation and the guy told me where he had stayed and I kind of looked at him and I said, are you following this book? He said, yeah, I am. I said, oh, that's funny. You know? <laughs> should have offered to sign his book for you. <laughs> I gave him a couple of extra recommendations from some places in the book the, that we didn't quite... Uh, didn't get to. Didn't put in the book, so... Yeah. You know. oh, it just sounds like... Japan sounds like one of those places that you could go, you know, a, a month every year for the rest of your life and still probably not hit all the points that you needed to hit. I've been there 12 years and I feel like I've barely scratched the surface. Yeah. Um, oh, I can't remember the article. I'm terrible with stuff like this, but there was a, an, an American Japanese chef who had worked. He was quite famous in America. He, he'd been on TV and had cooking shows and whatever. Right. And then he just quit and went back to Tokyo and opened a little sushi bar down some street or- yep and and it had it was like an eight seater and this journalist eventually tracked him down and was like why are you here and he just had this deep sort of cultural um pull that he needed to go back and do that for a while and not be this big celebrity and so like get back to his to what made him a good chef i guess yeah we call those kind of people shokunin yeah right yeah people that are and it talks about it a lot in the book the the idea of a shokunin which is sort of a master of the craft yeah you know these people that are cooking without any um sort of fame i guess around them but yeah. are completely concentrated on doing what it is that they're doing the absolute best that they can do it so you you'll see a lot of them in you know sushi chefs or kaiseki chefs or even small things, people making an omelet the same way for 50 years and they feel like they haven't even come close to making the perfect omelet yet, you know? Uh, <laughs> I did love I did love the story of the, the lady making, now I can't say, the dumplings. I'm just going to say dumplings. Sure, I, gyoza. I, yeah, gyoza, because I always get it wrong, sure. um, which is one of my all-time favorite foods. Oh, I love gyoza love too. And um, they were saying, oh, you must really love them. And she's like, no, no I don't even really like eating them. <laughs> just make, you know. I'm just striving to make the perfect one. Thousands yeah. and thousands yeah. of them every day to, to, to try and get the perfect one. But she sat there and like made them, you know, as soon as they'd pause, she's like, you know, keep eating, keep eating. It's like 200 of them to, <laughs> to polish off. So that, that sounds pretty. So what, what is your, do you have any favorite food or is it a mood based thing and it changes all the time? Ooh, I think it's a seasonal thing. Yeah, okay. You yeah, get cravings for like things every season. Certain things in different seasons, yeah. You know, the first watermelon of the season tastes so good. Yeah. Right? Um, so, yeah, I think it changes with the seasons. And after 12 years, how do you find uh, traveling in Western countries? Does your palate mm. still... Like, do you basically get to the end of a trip and crave to go back and have that Japanese cuisine? I definitely crave Japanese food when I've been traveling for over a week. Over a week? Yeah. Wow. Um, but I usually um, don't give in. 
Uh, there's, there's, there's certain places where I wouldn't mind having a ramen. It's like that California is a great ramen. So does New York. Yeah. Um, or something like that. Yeah, ramen's usually the safest bet for Japanese food overseas. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, there would be... There's a fairly strong Japanese food culture in some of the bigger Definitely. American cities, isn't there? Yeah, for sure. It's almost we like ate um, well, uh, sushi in Miami recently, um, which I thought would have been... A total flop and it ended up being amazing the guy was great he gets his fish straight from skiji which is the fish market in tokyo oh wow yeah he they fly in his fish yeah that wouldn't have been cheap sushi i would imagine yeah i didn't pay for that meal so yeah, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best of the meal. That's a good question actually <laughs> uh, um so what about do you have a, a favorite style of of sake Ooh, like you, you were saying, this one's quite mild and and. Uh, sure, I like unpasteurized sakes a lot. Oh. So namasakes, they call them. Yeah. Um, um, Murray Louise also likes. Yeah, <laughs> some pretty heavy nods there. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, yeah, unpasteurized sake just tends to be a little bit fruitier. Um, it's fresh sake, but I also like aged sakes a lot too. Um, I'm aging a few bottles on my own too. Sake ages really well. If it's really well made, just like wine, um, you can age sake for a really long time. And what does that do to it? Just it develops more complex flavors That's right. and smooths out yeah. a, a little bit like wine. That's right. Um, it also changes the color. So normal sake would be a sort of a clear color, I suppose. Mm. Um, and as you age it, it turns a little bit more yellow and then eventually black. Oh wow! Yeah. So it almost looks like a sherry. In fact. I've tried sakes that I could probably fool you into thinking was uh, like a fortified like wine. A fortified wine, that's right. Yeah. They get a lot of chocolatey notes, really rich umami, almost strong mushroomy tones, and really delicious. It, it's funny because this, like on the on the palate, because it doesn't have that um, spirit sort mm-hmm. of rawness. It it feels like a wine, but um, and I suppose wines do have that. Uh, changing of the flavor on the palate but I, I like I, it felt like a like a whiskey to me I've tasted some mm. really nice whiskies where you hold them in the mouth and you sort of you feel that flavor develop and then when you swallow it you get that sort of like almost like a secondary flavor you know yeah coming off and that's different what, flavor on the finish for yeah. sure and yeah yeah sakes are pretty complex I feel like it's an underrated drink to be honest it's generally it's kind of inexpensive for for what you get as well so hmm. again I'm not being rude I'm just drinking um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you like it is is it pretty much the national drink of Japan like is it actually is sake consumption has kind of gone down as, as most alcohol consumption in Japan um, but we I would say sake uh, beer consumption is fairly high in Japan as well so shochu yeah. Um, which is made from rice but distilled. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, all it can be made from potatoes or sweet potatoes. Or so like a, like a rice vodka almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's fairly popular too. Okay, can you tell us a little bit? Well, since it's sold out, I don't. I don't. I suppose <laughs> you're holding back for anything. So what what are you guys doing um, with the matching tomorrow night? Oh, for the pairing. Mm. Um, we're going to be doing. Uh, a series of sakes. The first one's a sparkling sake, so similar to champagne. 
Um, we're also doing a wine pairing with the dinner as well. So you're going to be tasting a, a wine with the dish as well as a sake with the dish. To, to see how... It's kind of to of give you, yeah, a reference, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so we're going to be doing a sparkling sake. Um, we're going to be doing a nama sake, so an unpasteurized sake, um, all from different regions. Um, we'll also have... Uh, aged sake, so as I mentioned before, an 18-year-old aged sake. We're doing a red rice sake, mm-hmm. uh, which is very unusual. Uh, it's made, f- made from red rice and white rice. It's almost like a rosé color. Um, that's a very special sake. So if it's made from rice, yeah. does the strain of rice... Matter? Yeah. It does. So like, is there, you know, sort of almost... Uh, uh, rice, gro- rice? Yeah, is there rice growers and... and distillers that are so sort of linked together because you know yeah. they, they have to get their rice from this particular farm actually yeah uh rice the rice that they use for sake is different from rice that you table eat. rice yeah. so rice that you eat um it's there are different different kinds of sake rice but the most popular one is called yamada nishiki um actually the sake we're drinking now is yamada nishiki rice okay yeah and is it a, a short or a long grain it's a shorter grain yeah. um, and the starch is centered in the middle and the reason that you use that kind of rice for sake is because you um, polish off the outside um, part of the sake so or part of the rice grain and the more you polish it the different grade of sake it becomes so if you polish uh, 50% of the rice grain so 50% has been taken off yeah and you're only left with 50% of the rice it's classified as a Jumai Dai Ginjo Sake. Um, and then if you have 60%, and you'll see that on the bottle, sometimes people think that's the alcohol percentage. And it's the um, quali- But it's, it's not. The, it's the quality. <laughs> it's, the, yeah, it's called Semmai Buai, which means uh, the polishing rate. So as you get to 60%, so 40% taken off, Yeah. Uh, it's called Jumai Ginjo. And then at 70%, 30% taken off, for example, it's called a Jumai Sake. So, obviously, the more you take off, the more rice you've got to grow to make the same amount of sake. And so, the more expensive it becomes. So, how do they? How do you polish a rice grain? It's like a roller, I suppose. Yeah, okay. okay. A, little, a little bit like a mill. And it's a, basically just right. take to grinding the, mm-hmm. the, the outside of it off. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Wow. And then is it just pretty much just the rice and the water and, and then the fermentation process it's a little bit more complicated you have to use um something to transfer the starch into sugar and yeah. then the sugar into, into alcohol yeah um, for example grapes that's really easy to do grapes have a lot of sugar you just leave them and they start fermenting right yeah. so um but rice needs a little bit more help so we use a uh, mold um okay so then it's even more of an art if you're starting right. adding like Having coming from a cheese background. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard the term koji before. No. No, so you basically make a koji. So you sprinkle mold on steamed rice, um, and that sort of kick starts the process. process. That's right. And then that creates the sugar, and then. From and then that. you have what's called double fermentation, so parallel fermentation happening. So the rice, um, the starch from the rice is being transferred into sugar at the same time. The sugar is being turned into alcohol, wow. so it's a very delicate process. You have yeah. to control that. You, you, you wouldn't want you wouldn't want one conversion going too quick because otherwise it's going to eat everything. Exactly. Yeah. Smart man. Oh, it's, it's it's very. It's not a. <laughs> totally into it. Right? No, well, it's not too dissimilar to. You know, cheese is all about the same. You know, you want that, especially I've made quite a bit of soft cheese, and it's the same sort of concept: is that you want that. 
you want that process to happen very evenly mm-hmm. and and like I've made breeze where the outside is incredibly soft like almost dripping but the inside is like chalk mm-hmm. because the, the process has basically happened too quickly and then stopped and hasn't made it all the way through mm-hmm. um, yeah and it's that fine line it's temp- temperature and humidity and all these things that, that you're supposed to control which my um, te- temperament's not good for because I'm impatient <laughs> and I don't take notes and I, don't, <laughs> I just want it to turn out good and so it's, it's sort of like a very hit and miss you know <laughs> You make one good one and, and 15 pizza cheeses, as we call them at home. So. It's kind of part of the fun, I guess. Oh, I have made the, the best brie I've ever tasted. And I made a batch of four. And I took them to a cheesemaker down at Bangalore. I was talking to him on Twitter and he said, oh, yeah, I'll try your cheese. And so I took one of them down and he cut it and tasted it and wrapped it up and put it in his esky and gave me some of his cheese. And I went, well, it must be all right then. <laughs> he stole your cheese. <laughs> yeah, I got a couple in return, but I was, I was pretty impressed. I was like, all oh, right, I'm a cheese maker now and I've never made a cheese that good again. So, but um, but again, that's going back to the, what you like about the sake mm. is that that's unpasteurized cheese. So it's even more volatile because... Yeah, a lot of the sakes I like are unpasteurized. There's there's two times you can pasteurize the sake, but um, but generally speaking, uh, unpasteurized sake is a little bit more interesting. Yeah. Not always, not always. Okay. So is there anything else I should know about sake before I go? Ooh. Okay. Well, so as a as a rank amateur, mm-hmm. what should be my first bottle that I purchase? Ooh, well, um, we've actually purchased sakes this time from Black Market Sake, which is an importer of really delicious sakes here in Australia. You are very fortunate to have these people working so hard to get you um, these amazing sakes. Uh, so they've got a really, really good list um, of sakes and any of their sakes I would pretty recommend. Good. <laughs> to be honest, and yeah. they'll have the unpasteurized ones. They they do. They yeah. have unpasteurized sakes. Yeah. Okay. They do. They have also aged sakes. They have sparkling sakes. A lot of people kind of get confused with the dry and sweetness of sake. Um, um, people think they prefer dry sakes, but I recommend also trying sort of the sweeter sakes as well. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the girls in my house like a sweet wine, so maybe that'll be the go. Um, Thank you very much for coming in. Thank you very much. Um, you can't go and see your uh, cooking match with sake, but you should buy this book because it was. Very, I've, I, was, I sat here and read it for about twenty minutes beforehand. It's called Rice Noodle Fish, and it is. From, yeah, the little bit I read of it, it looks like a fascinating book. Yeah, thank you. And then plan a ch- trip to Japan around it. Definitely. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. Cheers.